Welcome to the Reconstructing Healthcare podcast, a show where we discuss what's wrong with healthcare and talk with innovative companies disrupting the health insurance marketplace. Join us as we explore strategies to help employers lower healthcare costs and build a better health plan. Now here's your host, Michael Maneri. Hello, this is Michael Maneri, and I want to welcome everyone to the Reconstructing Healthcare podcast. Today, our guest is Andy Halpert from Collective Health. Andy, welcome. Thank you. Great to have you on the show today. How are you? I'm pretty good. A little foggy here in San Francisco, but that's typical. (laughs) Indeed. Here's the game plan. You know, what we seek to do here on the show is challenge the status quo as it pertains to healthcare purchasing and uh, educate our audience on non-traditional methods to lower their healthcare costs and improve value for their employees. So to get us started, I'm going to read a brief bio about you. So the audience has a little bit of context about about who they're listening to, and then we'll just jump into the interview. Sound good? Very good. All right. So Dr. Andy Halpert is Collective Health's Senior Director of Clinical and Network Strategies. Andy has a broad range of experience in healthcare. Prior to Collective Health, he worked at Willis Towers Watson, providing strategic guidance to Fortune 500 companies and auditing care management programs. Before moving into benefits consulting, Andy was a senior medical director at Blue Shield of California and a practicing internist at Harvard Community Health Plan, where he led the group's hospital-based programs at Brigham and Women's Hospital. All right, Andy, anything else uh, about you that we didn't cover in that uh, short bio? I have a dog named Jerry, but uh, (laughs) probably not not that pertinent for today's discussion. That's good. That's good. You have a really interesting background, you know, relative to a lot of people that that we talk to on this this podcast. You've worked on the provider side of the business as a practicing physician. You've worked for insurance carriers in a medical director role. And then you've also worked on the brokerage consulting side of the business. So, you know, after doing, you know, so many diverse or, you know, roles in, in the healthcare purchasing industry and being on all sides of the equation here, why did you decide to go work for Collective Health? Yeah, I think for me, and like you say, I've been kicking around for a long time. I think for me, it was a chance to uh, whiteboard a variety of things. You know, I followed them along for a couple of years, saw some successes. Uh, you know, they went into operations, had real clients. And again, for me, who, as you said, uh, Michael, I've been on a position on the provider side, run care management programs. You know, I've done some things that worked. I've been involved in a lot of things that seemed well-intentioned. The hypothesis was good, but that really did not work. Um, so here, uh, no sort of fixed investment in the old ways of doing things. So the chance to start fresh uh, was what attracted me. Excellent. I want to get into a little bit more about that. But you know, one of the things we like to, to talk about with our guests here is what's wrong with the healthcare system and why we continue to see the poor results that we do. If we take a step back and we look at our healthcare system, you can also look at it as an insatiable beast that just seems to consume more and more of our disposable income. Um, and, and there have been people out there who have, who have said, you know, if you look at real income wages, you know, there really hasn't been any increases in, in real wages you know, for 20, 30 years. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that, you know, we're spending more and more of our, you know, one, you know, payroll deductions on healthcare and two on our out-of-pocket expenses on healthcare. So what do you think in your words, what do you think is wrong with our healthcare system today? And why do we continue to see the results that we do? Yeah. So the answer is a lot. Um, But I think sort of foundationally, if you had to try to string a thread that could bring together a lot of disparate reasons or seemingly disparate reasons, it, it's that you know, incentives are just not aligned. Um, things are very opaque. So on the provider side, I would argue that the foundational way of paying for care, fee for service is 
just not very good. Um, you know, providers are paid more. The more they do, you misdiagnose, make a mistake, you earn more. So that's that's probably not going to get you to an efficient value-based way of doing business. And it's it's really the reverse of how everything else in the world is run, largely. Um, you know, if other company made bad products and it didn't work, probably won't last that long in the in the in the medical. That's right. The medical space that often guarantees success, especially if you overcharge because the perception by the patient and the member is often, oh, it costs more. It must be of higher quality. And we know there's in medicine uh, and in the healthcare sector, sort of no relation between those two uh, aspects. So so that leads me to then, you know, you've got the providers, you got the patients or the members, uh, if you want to call them that in this context. And again, <laughs> They, they are not purchasing like you would purchase in any other part of the economy. You know, it's, things seem like it's not coming out of their pocket because, you know, we're talking probably more of the self-insured space. They're covered. They have insurance. They pay some co-pays and deductibles for sure. But, you know, it's, it's, they're buffered from the, the true cost, although to your point, they're, they're paying for it. It's just not directly. They're not getting a raise. You know, everything they buy has that bundled in. But then again, they have no ability, largely speaking, to judge value at all, unlike right. if you bought anything else on the internet or Amazon. Um, and even though, you know, I think we've all made attempts with you know, high deductible health plans, oh, we'll make them better consumers, but it's really hard. You know, the, you, know you almost need either a, a medical degree and a business degree and have been in the industry like me and you for many, many decades um, to figure it out. So I think just saying, oh, let's put up a transparency tool. You know, where else would you have, oh, network, I want to go in network. Oh, this facility is a network. I'm cool. Oh, but by the way, the provider's not. I mean, it's just a cockamamie way of organizing business. So how could a normal, even fairly smart person figure this out? So I think it's all of that that is messed up, you know, uh, some of which are we're trying to solve over here as much as we can, you know, still without totally tearing down the system. But I, I think it's, in a nutshell, it's it's that kind of misaligned incentives and opacity that creates the beast we have today. From a patient standpoint, I think the, the complexity of the system is a huge, huge issue. And uh, and hopefully we'll talk a little bit more about, you know, how you guys address that in, in the conversation. Yep. But be- before we um, get to Collective Health, this company has a very interesting origin. And so I, I wondered if you might just share with our audience this story about what happened to the founder and how that ultimately led to the launch of Collective Health. Yeah, no, it is, it is interesting. So uh, the founder uh, was is a business guy. He he had sold a, a digital ad company with some of his partners to a, a large company that specializes in search. Um, and so he was working there at the time, minding his own business. This is four or five years ago. Uh, down in the Palo Alto area and woke up one morning and have, and I, I'll use the medical term because I get a few seconds of continuing medical education credit if I say this. So he had a volvulus, which is basically when your gust, your intestine twists on itself um, and cuts off the blood supply and then your intestine starts to die, which trust me, I'm a doctor, is not a good thing. Yep. So he emergently went to Stanford and, and long and short of it had about a, a six-week hospitalization, much of it in the ICU, almost died. Uh, had to have that surgically repaired with a, a series of surgeries. So, you, you know, then he finally was discharged and then his problems began. Um, so literally, despite having sort of a platinum plan with good coverage, uh, had a his employer had a advocacy vendor who layered on top of the system to try to smooth the waters. Uh, he had to spend literally the better part of a year sorting out. You imagine you go to the 
doctor for an office visit, you get an EOB that you can make head and door tales of. And right. Using what do you owe? What does this mean? Well, he he had literally, you know, dozens and dozens of EOBs with conflicting information, uh, investigational denial, still how, you know, intestinal surgery was investigational escapes me. But anyway, had to you know, struggle through a morass of, of issues to source. So he he basically said, you know, what's this all about? Again, to our earlier point, if I ran my businesses this way, you know, forget it. No one would ever shop with me. What yet? What's going on? So he went to one of his best friends who was a, like me, a practicing physician, was a practicing physician at the time at Stanford and sort of said, well, what's up with this? Is this normal? And Roger, the other co-founder said, yeah, this is, this is how it's done. This is totally normal. And again, Ali being a business guy, see, I would have never done this because it would have been too daunting, but he said, well, we're going to, we're going to change that. We're going to fix it. Um, so initially uh, they thought about again, doing a advocacy vendor layer type uh, company essentially, but said, you know, if we're really going to fix it, we got to go deep and build a vertical. So they, not the sexiest of terms, but they said, you know, we're going to essentially found a third party administrator to administer plans for self-funded employers. And we're going to go deep and we're going to try to fix this. So I'd say one you know, distinction right off the bat is Collective Health was founded to help people like Ali uh, Diab, who was the co-founder, um, you know, as opposed to, you know, all the traditional carriers, which were basically started to pay claims, you know, so that's a, just a different way right. business and begins to create the divergence of, about or around how we approach what we're trying to do and what our mission is compared to a typical carrier. Explain to the audience what problem is, is Collective Health trying to solve as a TPA? And, and clearly you guys are approaching it from a different situation of just not trying to pay claims, but, you know, to, you know, solve some of the inefficiencies that exist in the current system. Yeah, so I think it's it's trying to bring a lot of things together, I'd say, is another big place to simplify and to assist people. Again, realizing that we, we haven't blown up the underlying, you know, way you know medicine is paid for in the country, but there's a lot you could do to still fix it. So I, I'd say foundational to that is again new technology. So you know, typical carrier has been around for decades, acquisitions, you know, legacy systems, which then they, despite maybe good efforts and best efforts, they just can't get to hear from there uh, in a lot of ways to to really help people in a in a simple, seamless way. Uh, so our our technology, which is you know purpose built to essentially help people uh, navigate, I'd say part and parcel of that and, and also being new and not having entrenched investments, we believe in sort of an open platform approach. Uh, so again, a lot of our self-funded employers have begun to look at other uh, value add uh, programs like a second opinion program or telemedicine. And again, the, the typical carrier you know, I, when I was at a carrier, I derived a theorem, which is carriers hate carve-outs. And, you know, they don't, you know, they want to enable their own disease or case management solution, their own telemedicine solution. We're agnostic. In fact, we're not going to build all that stuff. So, you know, why should we, if, if some of the companies in that space are specializing in that niche area? So, again, a big part of this open source, open technology play is to enable uh, our clients to plug those in as appropriate and probably replace some legacy ways of trying to assist members that, again, well-intentioned, but frankly, haven't worked like carrier-level case and disease management, plug in some of the newer solutions. The last piece I'd highlight 
you know, just at, at a high level here is our member advocacy model. So we can talk about a little more about who we hire, how we train them, how they approach the member interface is, again, part of the play of simplicity, help people navigate. Really, what I've seen a proactivity around keeping people out of trouble or keeping things from going off course before it even happens. Um, so I, I think it's all of that that's leading us to take a, a bit of a different approach here. I want to dive a little bit deeper into, into both of those topics. So, you know, what you said is you guys are an open source platform, which I think is great. I think one of the, the shortcomings of a lot of the ASO carriers out there is that, you know, just like you said, they don't like to carve out anything. It almost seems to me a little bit arrogant to think that you can be the best in just about everything. But, you know, if, if, if you hear a sales pitch from, from any one of these guys, I mean, you know, that's what they'll tell you. You know, their care management programs are the best. Their telemedicine programs are the best. Given all of the innovation that's happening in the marketplace, an open source platform is, um, I think, the right approach um, to be able to leverage what's, what's going on in the marketplace. So can you give the audience some more examples of the different types of, of vendors and your flexibility to integrate with them on your platform? Yeah, well, and it's truly open source, so it's really any anyone. I'd say some of the ones that are more common, and we have clients who literally have you know ten, over ten different vendors they they brought into their midst. Uh, we have some that have one or two, maybe a few who have none, but some have a few. And so I'd say it's uh, telemedicine, it's second opinion. We're seeing some now in the fertility or uh, mental health space that are almost these vendors are trying to almost create their own networks in areas that have been very challenging for a self-funded uh, employer group. Um, you know, point solutions in the clinical space around diabetes, around, you know, mental health, other disease states. So, you know, there are ones and sort of we, we largely are guided by our clients. Um, so, again, if they will essentially plug and play with anyone, now there's some common vendors. And so then those are the ones we build the deeper integration. I mean, it starts with eligibility file, but then it goes on yep. to reporting, uh, referral processes, you know, our member advocates and our platform uh, then we'll push people, and and so the you know the the fundamental premise is our clients are making these investments and in, and in, in these good programs, but you know typically engagement lags. Um, so we're yep. we're seeing, and the intent is to then give them a lift in these uh, investments, and we have some early data to show that we're we're having success there. Got it. And so by helping the clients achieve some return on those investments, really really what that means is you become the aggregator of everything, and you become the the source to be able to drive membership to the programs that that would be beneficial to them. Yeah, exactly. And we, yeah, so in some ways you could look at it, we're helping them design their own health plan and bringing these what often play out. And again, when I was on the consulting side, of course, I do a great job on an RFP for a telemedicine vendor and we cut the deal and install it, but it sort of lives on some portal, some other portal somewhere else. And so it's very hard in the moment. What we're doing is both on our technology platform. So if you look at that telemedicine vendors positioned in various places so people can find them, or I'll give you an example when someone just looks out their core, looks up their core maternity coverage, you know, they'll see professional in the office and, you know, all the basic parts of the benefit. But if that employer has bought a buy-up program in the maternity area, that'll be listed right in that stack like a normal person <laughs> would think of it. So it's that, again, it's how the member advocates are trained to refer and refer smart and focused. So uh, again, so we can we can make it more like these aren't niche things living off to the side. They're part of your core benefit, your core health plan offering, if you will. You know, you, you mentioned earlier that, you know, really what, what collective health is about is, is trying to, to solve 
for you know the the inefficiencies or or the you know the uh, poor outcomes of of the current you know system. So you know what are you guys doing different from a member experience standpoint? Because you know historically you know the member experience has been poor. Yep. So it starts at the beginning. So we we uh, talk in a few minutes about sort of the people side of this, but there's a technology and really a design piece to this. So. Um, we've put a lot of effort into just how things look, whether it's the quarterly apps. And when I think an underlying tenant is cleanness and simplicity, um, it begins with our um, welcome kit, you know, which has the card. It looks like uh, sort of an unboxing experience similar to what, when you get an iPhone, just the quality of the materials are used, which frankly aren't really all that costly. The premise being that instead of the you know ripoff perforated thing that most people throw in the garbage from a typical carrier, it's like, oh, this, this looks and feels a little different. Who are these collective health guys? We begin to bond right up front. It then uh, goes through to our uh, open enrollment uh, welcome portal through again the whole the whole web and, and app experience. Then if you call us and here again we pick up I think a fundamental difference. So our model of you know quote unquote customer service, which we call member advocacy, are uh, uh, people mainly uh, relatively fresh college graduates out of top tier universities, Stanford, University of Pennsylvania, UC Davis, Tufts, who typical profile uh, human biology major, uh, maybe or maybe not, uh, will want to go to med school in a few years, but they want to work in healthcare. They're highly you know, motivated to help people. And uh, many have had a personal experience with a parent or grandparent who you know ran into the usual shenanigans with the healthcare industry. So sure. Hire these people, train the heck out of them. Have they have great internally built tools to manage? Uh, and I should add here, I haven't mentioned that it's we're administering medical, dental, vision, pharmacy, so they have great tools where they can bring that all together. And I can tell you, Michael, just foundationally different experience when you call up one of these people. So they're smart. They get it right away. They help people. They, if they say they call you back, they will call you back. And again, they proactively sort out issues before they. Uh, develop. I'll give you an example of a woman calling in a child autistic, you know, is this facility in Southern California for ABA covered? And you know, the usual simple answer would have been, oh, yeah, I could look that up. Facilities covered were cool. You know, I met my first call resolution were great. Well, maybe not. You know, so the member advocate did give that information, but said, let me call down and make sure all the providers are in in network. Called the business office, got on with the business met, you know, so went through the whole list so that in six months, the HR person at that client didn't get this stack of, you know, they told me it was in network and it wasn't. So it's that kind of activity. It's like you be, you're up in the press box, you see the play develop and you know how that usually goes. So it's that intelligence and focus that is different. So I think that's, uh, that's what we're doing. It's, it's, um, you know, driving through, we, uh, if you had one metric that you boil our company down to its net promoter score, and I think you, you know how that's calculated and it's a tough metric, you know, we're, uh, sitting uh, year to date in the mid 70s, 75, um, you know, healthcare, typically, uh, the healthcare composite is about eight. And that's actually pulled up by our friends at Kaiser who do a little better. Um, you know, some of the big carriers are, are in the negative. It's actually possible to get a negative score on net promoter score. So we use that as we, we watch that by the millisecond, we track it by client, we track it by issue type. That is, that's sort of our North star. Give our audience just a, a little bit of background on net promoter score. We've talked about it before, but I want to make sure that everyone has, has clarity on, on, on what that actually means. Yeah, so it's, it's essentially a survey 
question um, that we send out after every interaction uh, that's a likelihood to recommend. So if you score, it's a 10-point scale. If you score like 8, 9, or 10, you're considered a promoter. You get a plus 1, 6, or 7 is like neutral. You don't win or lose points. And anything less than that, you're negative. Um, so and then it's converted to onto a 1 to 100 scale in the end. But you can actually, like I said, be, be below 1. So you, know, you don't need many, quote, unquote, detractors to really pull your score down. Um, so mm-hmm. just to give a little more context, again, healthcare uh, sits down at about an eight. We're in the mid-70s. You know, the Apple's uh, USAA will be in the 70s. Sometimes you'll see a score for a really high-performing company in the 80s. It's almost virtually impossible to get, you know, 90s or 100. So we're up there uh, on, you know, uh, territory that's really not typical of healthcare. But I think for me, it's, it, you know, the score is great. But what and we could segue into talking about engagement, I mean, it builds people trust us and they sort of like us and then you're engaging and then they might actually do something you're suggesting to them. So I think it's, it's not, you know, it doesn't sort of just end with, Oh, we had a good call or they liked our website or, our, or our app. And so they gave us a, a nine on NPS. It's then, okay, what does that, what foundation does they set that set for the next interaction? Well, I, I think, I, I think that's great. I mean, I think the fact that you're, you're I mean, it, it's basically boils down to your customer satisfaction rates are nine to 10 times better than traditional insurance carriers. Correct. And so, and so, you know, going, it, it sounds like in the example that you gave, you know, it's, it's going the extra step, you know, for the member to, to, you know, make it easier for them. Yep. Um, but gosh, that is such a huge divide. Um, you know, what else do you think is, is driving that, that level of, of customer satisfaction. Yeah, and again, I think I think on the uh, digital tools, it's a simplicity. So I'll give you another example where we redid the you know, what's usually called the EOB that people get after any sort of visit. Which usually this is not a bill, but it looks like a bill, and it, it, I can't even understand these things. And we you know redesigned that. You know, went to our lawyers. You know what we want to take out almost everything, you know, where, where will we run afoul of regulation or the law? And we stopped at that point, but, you know, we have it, we, we call it a, a member benefit statement. It actually has the calculation of, you know, here's what was billed, here was what allowed, you know, but we even use terms that are not jargon terms. And then, you know, we essentially do the math for people on their cost share. So, you know, a lot of questions, which are just like, I don't understand why I ended up paying, you know, $97 and 30 cents. You could track the math right on the thing. So, you know, that's, you know, I think those are the kinds of things we do different. Again, I think on the on the whole uh, uh, customer service call, member advocacy calls, it's, and again, it's, it's people listen, they're, they're smart, um, you know, it's, I'm impressed, I, I review each week the report that gives, okay, our, our uh, NPS this week was 77, that's great, but I read both the negative, you know, there are some detractors, and some of them is just things we can't fix. Uh, and some, you know, there are definitely some themes of things we can improve. And we've used that uh, in various ways. I can give you an example in a second. But I think on the promoters, it's, you know, person was smart, you know, they they understood right away. It, it's interesting, Michael, it's often not, oh, they spent an hour on the phone with me. I mean, we're dealing with people who work, they don't want to spend an hour on the phone, you know, if they don't have to. So no. they understood my question, they answered it right away, or if they couldn't fully answer it, they actually got back to me. And so again, right there, I mean, the bar is so low, you know, if you call a traditional carrier, and someone says, you know, I'll call you back, you know, good luck with that. Um, and, you know, miraculously in a few hours, they'll get a call back. So I think these are the kind of things that we, you know, surprise people in the follow through and in the accuracy of the information. And again, I think 
you know, the people we hire, they're, they're enthusiastic, uh, you know, they're, they're starting, they really want to help people. And it shows through, it's not sometimes you call a customer service function, you get like fake niceness. And this is, you know, strikes me when I've used the service and when I audit calls with them as like real niceness. So it's, it's just different. It feels different. What do you guys actually do as a TPA? Because, you know, you do execute that, that basic function, which is paying claims. And so um, in, in my conversations with, with some of the other collective health you know, team members, you know, they've indicated that, you know, one of the things you're trying to tackle is the time lag um, that claims get paid and that they're reported to employers. And so can you tell us a little bit about how you're trying to improve that process? Yeah. And, and just one minor clarification. So the actual payment of the, to the provider is done by our, our network partners. So as, as I think, you know, we, we have our uh, network arrangements are with two blues, Blue Shield of California and Anthem Blue Cross. They take care of the provider payment. We, though, do everything member-facing with the claim, the adjudication of the claim against the member's benefit. Um, so because we have the claim in-house, um, uh, to, to your question, we're able to use, first of all, that data in much more real time. And sort of that's the foundational part. But I think even there, we're ahead when you then get to identify people for, let's say, a clinical program intervention uh, or things of that sort. Um, but I think the more interesting part is we're beginning to use other sources of member touch points to work upstream and, and uh, figure out who's you know, heading in a particular direction that maybe is, is one where we should give them some assistance. So, for instance, uh, member navigation on the portal. Know, where they're, you know, click streams, click patterns. Um, we do uh, analysis of the member advocate call logs, like a word, a word graph of what are they saying, and, and we're beginning to triangulate that kind of information. You know, what information are they looking up on the web uh, to, you know, uh, augment. Um, and in some in some instances, I think it's you know you could use maternity as an example to your point where you know typical thing with a carrier maternity program is they call up the mother when the kid's about to go off to, off to college and, you know, offer the maternity program. Well, that's not so helpful. Um, so, you know, can we, based on people are searching for a maternity provider or looking around about breast pumps, well, that might mean something. Um, and, you know, you have to script it right. Uh, you have to make sure you're not getting false positives, but we're doing, we're using these disparate sources um, to begin to work upstream. That's the intent. That's related to, to, to clinical programs. And so let's talk about that for a second. You know, care management companies, disease management companies um, with insured carriers and TPAs have been around for, for as long as I've been in the industry. And obviously the intent is to target and engage, you know, those with, with certain needs, um, most times those with chronic disease and illness. And a lot of times those are the folks who are driving the majority of the cost. And, and quite frankly, the, the, the results that we see the traditional care management and disease management programs are dismal. You know, usually the the engagement rates of eligible members are typically below 5%. And by engagement, I mean ongoing contact with a nurse or health coach just because somebody picked up the phone, that's not engagement. And I have yet to ever be convinced um, that there's actual real value in a lot of those programs. Um, so, So what's your opinion as to why these programs you know, simply don't work? And what are you guys doing differently to get better results? Yeah, so I think there's a lot of reasons they they don't work. And again, the hypothesis sounds intuitively like it makes sense. But I think, number one, um, uh, they're disarticulated from the delivery system. So a lot of it grew out, you know, follow the money, follow the risk, you know, health plans on the underwritten project uh, products had their risk. So again, this seemed intuitively uh, 
obvious at the time, you know, 10, 15 years ago that you should start building these nurse programs and call people, but it's uh, disarticulated from delivery system, you know, and when you talk about, you know, I played on various sides of the fence, I found um, when I was at Harvard Community Health Plan in Boston, and we actually grew and built some essential DM programs in the practice way more effective because then I was a doctor. I actually wanted my CHF patient with my CHF nurse. I knew her. She would come to my office, but that ain't a carrier program somewhere at a call center in the Midwest, you know, who has none of the medical records. So I think very disconnected. Again, where is it coming from? It's coming from an entity that most people, frankly, don't like. <laughs> so yes. if your phone rings at 9 p.m. and the caller ID says the name of a national carrier, you know, you're either not going to answer if they, you know, I'm honestly shocked given, you know, and some of this is how you have to play it with HIPAA, but you get that call at night at night from an entity you don't like and they start asking you, you know, to validate all this stuff. I mean, personally, I would have never taken those calls. It amazed me anyone engaged. But to your point on the commercial side, um, and then, you know, what happened over the years, sort of a whole, you know, infrastructure grew up around this, investments were made, you know, on the HMO side, NCQA and Ahedis, and every, you know, had to play that game. And then a, a lot of that sloshed over to the self-funded side of the house. So it just, you know, it just, the train was going. Um, I think anyone who's looked at the results, whether it's just the engagement, and again, then everyone played a lot of rope-a-dope. Oh, if I tried, that means I engaged. If I sent you a letter, that meant engaged. No, I'd use more the standard as you were talking yeah. about. You know, when I was doing my consulting more recently, you know, actual results, basically, you know, all the carriers in their RFPs would say, oh, we engage five to seven percent of the population. You go back and look at what they did with a meaningful definition of engagement. If they were hitting one percent, that was on a good day. And then I audited programs where I actually looked at the quality of the interaction when it even took place those few times and it was weak. Um, so again, I think what we're challenging here is, is the whole paradigm. Now, it's a little tough because honestly, I think you know, I was with a large consultancy recently and they were saying exactly what you said. Like none of it works. CMDM at the carrier level doesn't work. So we said to them, okay, so are you taking those questions out of your RFP? And they said, oh no, they're in. So, you know, we're at this tension point where I think like most people know the emperor has no clothes, but we haven't figured out what to do about it. So I think we're at least, we're trying to see, is there a better way? And so our new world order, I think, has a few component parts. One is some of what has gone on, I'd say, especially on the quote-unquote DM side, is replaced by some of these point solutions. So look at your population. Is diabetes a driver? Um, is, you know, gaps in care or, you know, not only they have it, but they're doing poorly. So maybe, you know, one of the vendors who's specializing in that space, uh, you know, has a solution uh, that over time, it's certainly more value-based, it's cheaper. So at least you're not spending as much money and, and it's, you know, more digital. It's ways that people want to interact in this day and age. So let's maybe plug that in. And again, we've talked how collective health enables that. I think for the core catchment of, of really more case management or complex case management. So now I'm talking the maybe one or 2% of the population. What, yep. we, what we piloted last year, and, and I've really, you know, evolved my thinking on this is we, we had a premise that's, you know, challenging, I think, again, something foundational here is like, maybe nurses aren't even the right person to largely be doing this. So we started hiring clinical social workers and said, you know, it's, it's, yes. often, it's often some of the sort of non quote unquote medical determinants that are really the barrier to the person doing what they're supposed to do medically. And, and frankly, people have doctors, the doctors are the doctors, they have their nurse practitioner. You know, so maybe, you know, banging people on what are your meds, let me explain diabetes, you know, that most of these programs do, maybe that's not even where it's at. 
the social worker, number one, unlike doctors like me, the social worker actually listens more than they talk. And I think what we found as we've begun to structure this program is they, they really get it, like what's actually the, the barrier and what, what's the member want to work on. So a typical example is a woman with a new diagnosis of breast cancer. And, you know, probably her oncologist is dealing with the chemo and what to do if you get a fever and that whole scene. So having a nurse harangue this person with, you know, not all the information about that, probably not that helpful. But the woman on that day, she's stressing out about getting her wig. So we have the social worker who, number one, listens, is essentially trained to emotionally support much more of a behavioral health approach. And, and then also, by the way, knows the benefits, knows how to procure the wig. So something that would have caused that woman a lot of stress, you know, is like, let me take this. I will, you know, situation solved. And so, you know, it sounds sort of simple, but I think, I think we're seeing that over and over. So between the fact that, again, it's collective health, so people on the whole like us and the, what they perceive as the value of the social work intervention. So, uh, Michael, we're building that out. So right now we have some combination programs of our collective health social workers working with um, uh, nurses from the network partners. Um, we actually have some, I'd say, more forward-thinking clients, and I'm willing to field a program that, frankly, looks more like the social work function with the various point solutions and maybe little to no nursing. But that's a little out there, so I don't know if everyone's going to go for that. But I, you know, we're yeah. we're seeing a lot of value in the um, you know case management, the social work level. And again, I'm not claiming I'm not going to answer your RFP and say, I'm going after five or 7%. I want to um, manage in maybe this one to 2%, but actually then actually do what I say I'm going to do. Um, or come back to you and say, look, Michael, that, you know, that, you know, we're finding most of our clients that maps to about 40% of cost. But we'll, the other thing, and this is why, to you know, go back to your first question, why did I come to collective health? I will switch this up if it's, you know, if it's more like 1% I should manage, or if I need to move it up to three, I can modify this program to produce value and not just charge a PPM and engage, you know, nobody, which is really what's been yeah. going on here. And, and here's one of the things that I think a lot of the big carriers lack. It's the courage to experiment and try new things, right? I mean, if clearly, if, if you realize that something's not working, well, the definition of insanity is just doing the same thing over and over, yeah. right? And so, you know, I, I applaud the fact that you guys are actually experimenting and, and trying new things. And to me, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, does the diabetic, you know, patient need to be told to take his meds and exercise or does that patient actually need help knowing what to buy at the grocery store? Yeah. Does that, does that, you know, and, and understanding that person's, you know, situation with family and work and understanding, okay, what type of exercise can this person actually fit into their, their crazy life schedule between work and family obligations? Yeah. I, I think that's probably more valuable. Um, and they're not getting any of that, right? I mean, they, they have, you know, a doctor's visit, you know, once a year twice a year. Hey, uh, are you, are you testing, you know, your glucose levels? Uh, and, uh, you know, Hey, are you taking your meds and, uh, Oh, you need to lose some weight. I mean, is that really helpful? Yeah, no, exactly. So we're, I, I think our premise and, and, and now what we've begun to see, uh, in reality, in a pilot that we're now expanding to be not a pilot is that those the emotional support, what's going on with your family, again, behavioral health related issues that frankly, the social work skill set is way more in sync with all those issues. So, 
um, you know, that's that's where we're putting our stake in the ground. But again, what we're we will switch it up. You know, if, if the premise is wrong or only partially right, you know, we're going to experiment. We have a, a you know a model of what our staffing ratios need to be. So, but the beauty here is that you know we we can evolve. I think much more quickly. I mean, I used to try to change these things in the context of a typical carrier, and it's you know it's like moving the the battleship uh, in a different direction. It's very hard. Absolutely, absolutely. So. Um, you know, I think we've talked about a lot of, of how you guys are, are, you know, working to differentiate differentiate yourself, you know, from the, the marketplace, you know, other than, you know, a better consumer experience that you're trying to create, you know, are there, are there other ways that collective health as a TPA, you know, benefits an employer? Yeah. So I, I'd say uh, a number of, a number of other areas. So one is we, um, because of what we do via the, the web-based and app-based and member advocacy-based services offload the uh, typical HR uh, department at the employer quite a bit. And we have some data on you know, the internal tickets for smoke and fires that used to get dumped on the HR professional's desk go way down. So they could frankly focus on many other things. We uh, It's rare that I see an HR group uh, at, at the client that's over oversourced or, or whatnot, but they're running around dealing with things they shouldn't. So I, I think that's one area that we offload and provide help. Um, we it's a data and reporting. So you know we talked a little bit uh, previously about the real time uh, aspect of of how the data flows through and the claims and we're adjudicating. So the reporting suite um, and desktop uh, view that we give in. I mean, uh, and and uh, on the client side, they can literally watch their claims if they care to, like moment by moment. That could be a little depressing at times, but uh, you know. So I, I think that's another area. Um, and again, I think what we're trying to bring together as far as the point solutions, you know, again, um, we set up the, the eligibility feed, we're bringing in more and more times now the reporting. So the, you know, the vendor management load, if you want to plug in a second opinion vendor or telemedicine, we're, we're decreasing quite a bit. And um, uh, so I'd say that's, you know, another area where we're just making it simpler. And then also when we touched on this, the fact that we're uh, administering for dental vision pharmacy, uh, even if you get down to some back office functions, we're doing that their array of vendor payments from them from a banking bookkeeping point of view. So I think there's a whole host of areas where we, you know, we view the employer and especially, you know, the HR team at the employer group as, you know, a customer to just, you know, the ultimate customer is the member, but they're, they're a secondary, almost as important customer. Who do you think is a good fit for collective health? And, and alternatively, you know, who's not a good fit for, for collective health? You know, it's interesting. I, I, and honestly, any, anyone, and part of the reason I came here, any company who first and foremost believes in outstanding member experience and is not satisfied to just go with the usual, I think is, is a good candidate. And then over and above that, uh, you know, any company that, again, wants to engage uh, in some of these other programs, uh, as we've spoken about, is a good candidate. I'd say, too, there's um, from a uh, uh, you know, network view on cost, you know, I've cited who our partners with in most geographies and, you know, you always have to redo the analysis, but, you know, there can often be, especially at the time of transition, uh, a good cost story on unit cost by coming to collective health in the networks uh, we work with. We are seeing, and this is early going, uh, but, you know, we're beginning to track how though after the first year is that trend going over time. And we have some, you know, early encouraging results. I probably want to pen that, uh, you know, for more validation and, and external review, but we're optimistic there. So I'd say, you know, member service, member experience, cost, 
I'd say most people actually care about that. Um, yes. You know, in, in the early going, I think because we came with a technology focus and new technology, um, uh, you know, some of the early clients were in the technology sector. And I think some people said, oh, Collective Health, like some, you know, administrator for tech companies, not at all. Uh, first of all, that was never the case. And we've had clients in the last couple of years who were not technology-based. I'd say this sales cycle, um, and when you see the names of who we signed on, we have retail, we have manufacturing, we have you know, all, all very, you know, so it's interesting that the understanding of what we do and the appeal is really broadening out across industry sectors. I'd say some who, you know, maybe aren't a good match is, you know, while we have become, you know, quite on the core admin fee, quite price competitive. And again, if you look at the total unit cost of owner cost of ownership with the good unit costs, I'd say we were always pretty competitive. But if a, if a client is really just looking for the lower, really low admin fees, um, stripped down, you know, that's not our model. We're probably not a good fit. I'd say some clients, and this is really getting less and less as we've been mm-hmm. in operations or administering now for, you know, some pretty big well-known companies, but we're still new, you know, so we, you know, someone who still thinks, oh, I want to watch it for another few years and see it grow a little more, um, you know, that's that's valid and I can understand that. So I'd say those are some of the things or reasons uh, companies uh, might say, you know, I'm, I'm either not ready for this ever or not not yet um, in the marketplace. Well, let's talk about that. So you guys are are new, having just, you know, launched in, in the last, you know, few years. So So how many clients and how many members are you currently serving today? Yeah. So as we sit here um, at this moment, uh, we have about 15 clients, about 75 or 80,000 members on the platform with uh, the precincts having largely now reported for 1118 business. We will have doubled uh, and maybe even a little more doubled the number of clients and uh, membership in the probably the for next year, about the 125,000 uh, range. So, yeah, we're, we're growing. We're growing. That's 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 pretty good growth. Now, um, you know, we've got people that listen to this podcast that are across the country. You know, you guys are based, um, you know, in Northern California. Um, are are you able to serve employers across the country? Yeah. So how that looks um, is uh, uh, fairly related to who our network partners are. So again, I, I mentioned Blue Shield of California and then Anthem Blue Cross. So the simple way to think of it is we can. Uh, sell business to uh, companies that have their headquarters domiciled in one of the 14 states where Anthem does business. And then in California, we have, you know, that we double up because that includes Blue Shield. Um, so that's that's sort of the simple answer. We're largely concentrating um, uh, so far on sales in California, North and South and Metro New York. But having said that, we're looking in Atlanta, Colorado. So again, we, we have the right to go into those areas. And, you know, there's other valuation of what networks and other areas that uh, we wouldn't otherwise have access to make uh, sense over time. But right now, those are the areas of focus. Another thing I just add to that is yeah. that just to be clear, you know, that's where we could sell based on uh, the, the domicile of the company, but we could cover member in all 50 states via blue card. Um, okay. so, and we literally have members we're servicing in all 50 states. Absolutely. I mean, Anthem and Shield have have you know national network via blue card, so that's not an obstacle. What are you most excited about right now in the business? Are there any you know upcoming improvements or enhancements to the Collective Health product uh, that are in the works for the future? Uh, yeah, there's a few things that are coming out, about to come out. Uh, so we're doing a next iteration on a 
cost transparency tool. And that might not sound that exciting. Those have been out there, but ours is going to have our look and feel. But I think more importantly, again, getting back to what we've spoken about is us being a trusted source, our member advocates using this. You know, I think the challenge of those tools is they've been out there underused. Um, so again, I think people need help in using those. We're also in the next bunch of months getting much more into uh, targeted member messaging. So again, using some of these disparate sources of data to member uh, put members uh, messages that are tailored to them, you know, might get it a use pattern or your urgent care. Maybe you, you could have done some of the telemedicine visiting, those kinds of things. So I think those are uh, some things on the technology side. Again, on the clinical side, we're ramping up the social work program going live with a whole bunch of customers on the first uh, with a program. We're actually in, in one of the, the programs we're working on, working on with Blue Shield, uh, actually bringing some nurses from Blue Shield into our uh, headquarters with our team and butting up the social workers, the nurses, and our member advocates. So there's a few things we're working on as we speak. Awesome. Love it. So, a- Andy, we're getting close to the end of our time here. If, if there was uh, one question that I should have asked you, but I didn't, what would it be? Yeah, well, as I taught my daughter, if you run out of questions, you could always say, how do you like those giants? But um, this is... <laughs> Probably not a good year to ask that question. You know, I, I guess it's like, well, so where's it all going? It's going to look like in 20 years. And, you know, I guess my answer is, I don't know. Um, but, uh, you know, what I'm hoping it is, is that we continue to evolve, that it, you know, sort of, I think it's interesting, you know, networks and claims payment have driven everything. You know, those those are the usual models. You know, we're going with this agnostic, you know, essentially in some ways create your whole health plan. So as if we bring in more networks, you know, again, bring in more of these best in class solutions, how will that really look? Will it really be serving the member and the employer in a way the current system has not? So that's sort of where I'd like to see it go. I'm sure there'll be bumps along the way and it'll be a circuitous route. But that's so that's if we're, you know, redoing a podcast in 20 years, that's what I'm hoping we're talking about. Well, yeah, and I hope it's sooner than that. I, I, I hope that it's it's more consumer centric, yeah. you know, just like, you know, most of the other, you know, consumer industries out there are. Um, yeah. It's all about it. It should it should be all about the consumer. And, uh, you know, it, it hasn't been. So hopefully exactly. that's one of the evolutions that we see. Um, Andy, how can people interested in collective health? Uh, get in touch with uh, your organization and, and learn more about the organization. Yeah, well, I think if they were good enough to listen to me and you for 50 minutes, um, I, I think they could just contact me and then I can, uh, you know, I'm a doctor, so I do triage. So I'd, uh, I triage things as appropriate. So that's Andrew uh, dot Halpert, my last name, H-A-L, P is in Peter, E-R-T. So Andrew dot Halpert at collectivehealth.com. So they could just shoot me something and I'd get them to the right place. Great, great. And and the website is www.collectivehealth.com, correct? correct? Perfect, yep. All right, all right. Well, Andy, I think this is a great discussion. On behalf of our, our listeners and, and myself, I want to thank you for taking time out of your schedule to, to join us. I think it's been great, and, and I hope our audience gets some value out of this conversation. Yeah, no, I appreciate the time. It was fun. Awesome. So to our listeners, uh, we do hope you enjoyed this episode of Reconstructing Healthcare. And with that, We will sign off wherever you're at. We hope you have a great day and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Reconstructing Healthcare. If you like what you heard here, please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. If you're interested in continuing the conversation, please visit us at www.reconstructinghealthcare.com where you can access the show notes for this episode and links to Collective Health's website and contact information. 
Lastly, be sure to check out some of the free resources on our website, including links to articles and books, as well as our Health Plan Innovator Scorecard, where you can benchmark your health plan against a plan that is truly designed to lower healthcare costs and improve value for your employees. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on the Reconstructing Healthcare Podcast.